You're listening to a Toronto Centre podcast. Welcome. The goal of TC Podcasts is to spread the knowledge and accumulated experience of global leaders, experts, and world-renowned specialists in financial supervision and regulation. In each episode, we'll delve into some of today's most pressing issues as it relates to financial supervision and regulation. The financial crisis, climate change, financial inclusion, fintech, and much more. Enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone. I'm Demet Çanakçı, Program Director at Toronto Centre. This podcast is based on a recent Toronto Centre Supervisor Guidance Note. TC Notes are meant to provide practical guidance to financial sector supervisors on key supervisory challenges. My guest today is Abhaya Hota, the author of the TC Note on Regulation and Supervision of Retail Payment Systems, which is published this month. Apaya is former head of the Department of Payment and Settlement Systems in Reserve Bank of India and former managing director and CEO of the India's leading retail payments infrastructure called National Payments Corporation of India. Welcome, Apaya. Uh, thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you, Demen. It is my absolute pleasure to be part of this podcast. Let me kick off by asking your motivation in writing this TC note on retail payment systems. Two motivations. One, during the past 10-15 years, there has been a significant jump in the volume of digital payments, entry of new players, big techs also jumping into the fray and being a part of this whole system and existing regulators and supervisors are rethinking whether something needs to be done. Two, the regulators and the sovereign authorities have also increasingly realized the importance of uh, retail payment system in general and retail payment systems in particular about uh, building the digital economy, about its relevance in financial inclusion, and also the financial stability as a whole. So this is a topic that is uh, worth focusing on for the regulators and supervisor. This was the motivation. But thank you for asking this question. Thank you very much. What can be the uh, regulatory architecture for retail payment systems? Who can be the regulator and supervisor? There are two payment systems large value systems and retail payment systems. So large value payment systems where the volume is low, but the amount is very, very large and have systemic implications, the regulatory and supervisory architecture, more or less in all the countries, they are converging. So there is commonality in many countries. There may be a little bit of variations. But so far as the retail payment is concerned, the varieties of retail payment systems, users are many, amount may be less, but the kind of engagement uh, that the payment system operators and the infrastructure players have with the customers, regulators, the interplay is very complex. So accordingly, the regulatory architecture for Retail payment systems also varies from country to country. 
we can discuss as we go along. Thank you, Abhaya. Also, can you briefly talk about what is usually the scope of regulation for retail payment systems? The scope of uh, uh, regulation really covers, obviously, big retail payment systems, safety and security of the customers who are using the system is very important. Operational resilience is very important. The payment systems need to be efficient. Consumer protection issues should be there. The grievance handling procedure should be in place. Uh, there needs to be a competition in the market. So the price and affordability aspects are taken care. And also the financial inclusion and uh, gender equity and whole lot of issues. In addition to that, as I indicated, a uh, variety of players in the market and their issues uh, uh, needs to be taken care. So the regulation and supervision should take place. There are licensing issues. First, the license, licensing, whether to license all the players or whom to license, who can be really, uh, can play in the market without uh, a license. Designating which players and what type of channels need to be supervised closely whether we need to have entity-based supervision or activity-based supervision. The regulation would be primarily uh, activities-based because any kind of uh, uh, you know, do's and do nots would be based on activities. To supervise uh, and regulate the regulatory reporting architecture, what needs to be reported and what is not required, when uh, uh, the uh, reported data comes to the regulator and supervisor and analyzed at the supervisor's end, you know, what kind of signals or what kind of concerns they are flagging and accordingly taking the necessary corrective measures or the intervention, supervisory intervention need to be taken or what kind of disciplinary and other enforcement actions need to be taken. So this becomes the gamut of uh, regulation and supervision. And about uh, um, the regulatory architecture that you asked in the previous question, the possibly you meant who can be the regulator and who can be the supervisor. Broadly, that also differs according to the type of activities that the country would want to regulate. So in some countries, a combination of a good number of institutions are there and they regulate. And supervision also a combination. In some countries where the central banks have taken the developmental role also, then they can become the operator, regulator, and supervisor. In country like UK, separate regulator, payment system, regulatory authority has been created. In countries, particularly uh, in the developing countries, one can find that they are largely the central banks do, uh, do the job. In Canada, Australia, and a few countries, they have recently reviewed the system and they are planning what kind of systems need to be supervised and they are getting designated as per the acts. In some countries, the self-regulatory uh, supervising authorities are also coming up. So regulatory architecture also would depend on the type of activities or entities the country decides to regulate or supervise. Uh, many thanks, Abaya. 
it varies from country to country, I understand. So what are the uh, regulatory and supervisory tools? How different are they from, for example, regulating other financial services, say banking? In good old days, payment system regulation and supervision was not a distinct activity. It used to be carried out either as a consumer um, protection activity or as a small part of banking and or financial uh, services regulation and supervision. Uh, it is only recently they have assumed importance. And the difference arises between the banking supervision and the payment system regulation and supervision is that the in payment system, retail payment system, particularly, the dynamics are different. There are so many players would be coming and start offering the services. So the new entities, big entities, which are not hitherto in financial services are also entering. So that makes uh, payment system regulation and supervision a uh, little different. But that is uh, how I would take it. And maybe another difference is uh, there would be a thin line of difference between regulation and supervision here in this activity because the state of uh, maturity or state of uh, clear formulation of the role of the regulator and supervisor have not come. Uh, the supervisors have a bias to see that whatever the regulator has prescribed are implemented properly and they are enforced and supervisory intervention takes place as and when they breach the regulation. Thank you. Perhaps a follow-up question on that. Uh, what can be the special uh, regulatory and supervisor tools in the context of fintechs, big techs, crypto exchanges? Where do uh, regulatory sandbox and innovation hubs fit in? Uh, is there a case for regulating the payment system activities of big players like Google, Amazon, etc.? I suppose uh, this is a uh, this is an area of uh quite a bit of a concern by the regulators and supervisors. FinTech, as the name suggests, they are the technology companies in the financial services. Many of the FinTech players start working with the financial services institutions as outsourced entity. Over a period of time, they assume, that means they start providing the services which the traditional financial services service providers are unable to do that. And they become quite important. And it becomes a little challenging for the regulators and supervisors whether to supervise this fintech through the regulated entities or bring these people under regulation. And also, the new kind of payment systems are evolving uh, almost, uh, you can say, Almost every day, a new payment systems uh, coming up uh, and new announcements uh, being made. So, a regulatory sandbox is the approach whereby the regulators would like all such players to come and do live transactions, but in a controlled way, so that regulator can uh, have uh, would have an opportunity to see how uh, the whether the same services are adding any risk to the systems, uh, whether it can be accepted uh, 
by the general public, it can really make a change in the uh, payment system landscape or make a difference. So this is the approach. Innovation hub is an approach uh, by again the regulators and supervisors where the different ideations would take place and the startups or the fintech players working in those areas would be invited and take guidance from the innovation hub. So it is a almost kind of guided innovation and guided support so that these innovations are promoted. Innovation hub is to promote. Uh, the sandbox is to see whether they are doing there any regulatory violation. So this is for the fintechs in all. Coming to the question about the big techs like Amazon, Apple, Google, you know, and host of such uh, tech, large technology companies entering into uh, the payment space, the concern is since they are mostly global players and they operate in different markets, they have the advantage of uh, uh, doing a deep research in the user behavior. If they enter the payment systems in a big way, they may turn monopolistic at some point of time. Yes, they may bring out a great product, but unless they are also there, this innovation is also controlled. There is a risk uh, of uh, some unhealthy trends uh, developing. So uh, regulators have started uh, uh, building systems and procedure as to how some mild regulation, like in India, a volume cap, means they cannot, uh, each uh, big tech cannot uh, generate uh, transactions or handle transactions more than certain percentage of the total volume of transactions in that kind of payment systems. Uh, like real-time money transfer system here in India really generates about 300 million transactions a day. Almost three to four players uh, cover almost 95% of the transactions. So a volume cap of 30% not more than 30% each of uh, the players can go. Uh, in fact, that was the stipulation they had. It had recently come. It has been relaxed uh, uh, a couple of days back. But this is also the kind of control that is exercised on the big techs so that they don't turn monopolistic and they don't fix monopolistic pricing. So the usual way of regulating the large uh, big techs uh, is uh, to introduce volume cap so that uh, each uh, big tech does not generate uh, volume which would be deemed as mono monopolistic in the country. Thank you. Thank you, Abhaya. So talking about innovation, do you expect any change in regulation and supervision of retail payment systems with growing interest in central bank digital currencies? I do not think so. At least uh, this is not the right time because uh, whatever uh, you know activities which are taking place uh, at the CBDC uh, level, they are uh, just few transactions. I suppose uh, it is too early to say anything, but going by the experience of two countries, China and India, really uh, India introduced just uh, a couple of months back and just a week back uh, retail uh, CBDC has been introduced. It goes through the distribution model, through the banks. So if the goal is to reduce the paper currency, which can as well be done by the commercial bank money, the conventional money, 
then the CBDC would have to create a parallel acceptance infrastructure. So building an acceptance infrastructure is quite a task. So central banks, I believe, during the next few months of pilot, they would really take a call as to what needs to be done so that CBDC become a mass payment instrument. Because if it is to be used as medium of exchange for the masses, the acceptance infrastructure is required. People can keep CBDC like they have been keeping the commercial bank money in a wallet which is owned, which is really recorded through the distribution channel by the central bank. But to make use of the money in day-to-day transaction, the existing uh, uh, like POS terminals, QR code, uh, internet, uh, mobile, all these acceptance platforms would have to accept CBDC. It is quite a big challenge. Uh, now the debates are on in what way the commercial bank acceptance infrastructure can be used. Unless this puzzle is solved, I uh, do not think CBDC has arrived. Thank you very much, Apaya. Uh, it has been a fascinating conversation. One last question on that. Can you talk about developments in retail payments provision from financial inclusion perspective? Oh, yes. This is very, very important because, you know, World Bank uh, had also come out with a report uh, payment aspect of financial inclusion and particularly the digital payments. Because uh, for financial inclusion, if we say that inclusion is that they would have access to bank account, now we would have to create opportunities as to how the newly included uh, customers, means included customers would find the benefit of having the access. The first thing is they should be in a position to transact, means they should send money, receive money, they would be able to pay the electricity bill. So for all the purposes, the payment system becomes very important. If you would like to take loans, you know, uh, these uh, access to credit, then for access to credit, how can they build their credit worthiness? The, if we say that their credit worthiness is also determined by the transactions, so there has to be a history of transactions, trail of transactions that can help in credit building. If they participate in the payment systems, they would have access to insurance. They would have access to investment. So financial inclusion is not just having a bank account, but having a transacting account, which ultimately would lead to access to credit, access to insurance, access to invest investment. So from the financial stability angle, financial inclusion angle, uh, a robust, simple, affordable payment system is the key. A digital payment system is the gateway to financial inclusion in today's time when uh, mobile phone is uh, with everybody uh, but no bank account. So first include the customer uh, to a bank account through the mobile and ask the person to really receive all the transactions and use the access to different kind of services. Thank you. This is very, very important.
Excellent. Many thanks for your time, Abaya. Much appreciated. I encourage participants to read the TC note, which can be found on our website. I'm here today with Abhaya Hota, and you have been listening to Toronto Center's podcast on regulation and supervision of retail payment systems. Thank you for joining us today and stay tuned for the next episodes.